thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello there, how are you going? It's time for another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the best out of you. And today I'm so lucky to be talking about pain with Mandy McCurry. Mandy was born with scoliosis, an S-shaped curvature of the spine. And although she had corrective surgeries at an early age that straightened her spine, Mandy experienced years of pain following those surgeries. Over time, Mandy has utilized various strategies and realized that she needed to take control of her health and has embarked on an amazing wellness journey of her own. So I'm so excited to be able to talk with her and share her story with you. So welcome, Mandy. Hi, Carrie. Thanks heaps for having me. No problem. It's great to have you. So Mandy, tell the listeners about your story. Yep, sure. Well, I had a fairly happy and active childhood. Growing up, I was the youngest of five children and I got told what to do quite a lot by my older siblings. (laughs) Um, And we were, as I said, very active family. And then um, my sister was studying to be a PE teacher at university and she came home and decided to practice some of her diagnostic skills on me, her little sister, and she made me bend down and touch my toes and and she started to look a bit concerned and went off and had a quiet chat with my mum and um, she was learning all about scoliosis and she was quite convinced that I, I had it. Okay. <laughs> and so mum and I went off to our local GP and, um, yeah, he diagnosed scoliosis and when we looked back it was very hard to believe that we couldn't have identified it ourselves because my hips and my shoulder blades were very displaced and so my my scoliosis was in the shape of an S and it was once we went off to a specialist and had x-rays and everything it was identified to be a curvature of um, 53 and 54 degrees of the two sort of top parts and the bottom parts of the S so if you can kind of imagine 45 degrees it's you know worse than that Mm, wow (laughs) Um, so it was quite um, a severe curvature and, and at that time the recommended treatment was to have that surgically corrected. So when I was 11, um, I had an operation, was in hospital for sort of two weeks and quite a number of months of recovery and that was just to correct the top part of the S. So if you just imagine sort of the top part of the S to halfway down, they, they straightened that with a rod and then afterwards as I recovered, they were hoping that the bottom part of the curve would self-correct and I had to wear a brace, um, a hard fiberglass brace for six months and um, also corrective footwear and things and I was in I think year eight at the time and it was quite difficult (laughs) my friends would come along and knock on my belly and things like that Um, yeah it was it was fine I I sort of got through that and then in the end x-rays showed that the curve hadn't corrected anyway so I had to go back and have another surgery when I was 16 Um, and that was a fusion down to L4 so it was quite a major surgery involved um bone grafts and screws and you know I've got quite a bit of hardware in my back now mm. uh, x-rays are always pretty good to show people um yeah so going on from there things just kind of continued I recovered and um, pain came and went through through the next sort of 15 years and sometimes it was quite bad and sometimes it was it was fine but I think because I am perhaps predominantly a bit of a people pleaser I would kind of always be trying to go the extra mile to help people or do things or try and you know as I said please people and I was often overdoing it and going beyond 
my own capabilities and causing a lot of of flare-ups and um, things just went on and I got a bit older and probably my body got a little bit weaker from all those years of continuing to push myself and uh, things ended up getting quite bad for me around the time my my first daughter was born. So having a baby in itself was kind of a big decision for us because we weren't sure how I was going to be able to go carrying and labour and that kind of thing. But in the end, that all ended up being quite quite normal and quite fine. Um, I had a beautiful baby daughter and she was uh, really easy to settle and quite quite good. Um, but probably around the period of about nine months of age for her, things started to get uh, pretty dark for me. And a lot of the reason was I was solely in charge of her. My husband had gone back to work. So all that kind of carrying when they start to get a bit heavy around the kind of 10 kilo mark and breastfeeding, um, I was I was starting to really struggle with the pain and it was it was day in day out I was really emotional because obviously there's hormones and stuff going on at that time of your life as well but also that um, chronic pain that can be so wearing yeah it just felt like every day was a real struggle getting out of bed getting through the day trying to look after her um and yeah I just realized um that it was just something that couldn't go on Um, and I was really, really getting into a very dark place, starting to get depressed and feeling all the time like I was a bad mother, I was a bad wife and I got to the point where I felt like I was such a burden to my family that I had this kind of irrational thought that the only way to solve it is to end the pain forever and I had sort of those few brief thoughts of suicide. Wow. Um, And... It was, as I said, it was kind of every day or every second day I was getting into this state of real, just over, totally over, over emotional. My husband refers to it as a, a snowball state. It's like one thing leads to another and my thoughts just run out of control and I start catastrophizing and generalizing and um, lots of negative thoughts about pain. And, and I was in those states every couple of days. Uh, but luckily, we, uh, after being in one of those states, we, we sat down and had a very big, uh, deep and meaningful conversation about it, my husband and I, because we knew that it couldn't go on. Um, and he said some words that ended up being a real turning point for me. He said to me that his darkest days were when I got myself into these snowball states. And I don't know what it was about it. My husband does not mince his words, and he's usually very, very straightforward. So when he said that, I, it really just hit home that I was actually having an impact on his life just as much it was on mine and so it really made me realize that I needed to I kind of needed to stop being so selfish and I needed to realize that my actions and my thoughts and my behaviors and getting into these snowball states were were really affecting him and it it really needed to stop so we had that conversation I realized we needed you know we needed to make a change I went and saw my GP and ended up having a big long session with him and and having lots of tears but he was very close to diagnosing postnatal depression because, as I said, my daughter was only nine months at that time. Um, but I convinced him that, like, no, it's definitely the pain that we need to deal with. So he recommended that I go to a pain management clinic in my um, hometown. So I went to the Barbara Walker Centre for Pain Management at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne and they were great. They initially uh, got me to see a psychologist. I had a few sessions with her and then they recommended that I did their three-week intensive in hospital program and it was a it was a really big deal for me I was scared to go there my daughter was only I think she was 18 months by the time I did the course Uh, she'd never really been away from me so I had to send her off to someone else for 
she went to family members for sort of that three weeks from nine till five. Some nights I stayed over in town because it was easier as well. So it was it was a really big deal um, getting prepared for that course. But then yeah. <laughs> part you of know, the major so thing- brave, so brave of you to you know go to the GP in the first instance and then yeah start three weeks you know sort of almost putting your life on pause and going no I need to step into yeah. this other this other work and do this work for myself. So keep going, Mandy. Keep telling us about yeah, that experience. I- I really did need to go to go there, and so it was it was something that we just you know we managed to organise it. And um, part of this particular program was to encourage people to come off all their pain medication. Wow! Um, and they obviously they teach you techniques for self management, so that it's not just we'll take away your pain drugs and you just keep suffering. Um, it was it was a really really big deal to come off the medication. I was at the time on a a morphine based patch which you wear on your skin and. I mean, it's dripping morphine into you 24 mm. hours a day. So I wanted to come off the medications as well. I was really motivated because of I'd had medications for pain on and off my entire life and I was sort of sick of all the side effects that they can bring to you. So um, it was it was a pretty big deal going on this program, coming off medications and learning these new techniques. But I, uh, I realized that it was a really big game changer. They taught me things that I now do on a day-to-day basis to help manage my pain. I've since never taken pain medication again, so that's been six years without medication. That's incredible. Um, yeah, which I, I I always kind of forget about, but then every now and then when I tell people, they're like, that. oh, that's quite a big deal. Um, yes. And it was, yeah, definitely great for me because of all those side effects that pain medication can have. Um, but a really big part of it was um, accepting that this is something that's going to be with me for life and I need to actually take responsibility and take control and do uh, these things that that I can do to, to help with the pain. And, I mean, I can talk about those in a, a little while, but one of the um, other big things that came out of this pain management course was they really encouraged us to set goals and I had lots of little ones and I had one really big one and that was to, to have another baby because we'd always imagined that we would have a, a number of children and when I was in that really bad dark place when, when my first daughter was so young, I just couldn't imagine that I'd be able to cope with doing all that again and with all the carrying and just knowing that I got myself into that dark place after she was born, I was really worried that doing it again might sort of flare up all those same things. So uh, that was my big goal. I wanted to make myself strong enough to have another baby. And two years after I did the course, my second daughter was born. So, oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's amazing. So <laughs> you talked just before about the acceptance of pain. Can you give us a bit of more of what that was like for you and, and the kind of, I guess, mindset you had to be in or conversations you were having with yourself around, because that's huge, you know, acceptance of pain and perhaps someone listening who's in chronic pain that can feel like it's just nowhere within reach. How did you get to that place from where you were to that acceptance of the pain? Um, well, it, it took a long time and I think probably my first 15 to 20 years of managing my pain, I, I did not accept it. I, I definitely resisted every aspect of my pain. I would push through and ignore my limitations or any of my body's warning signs. I would pretend that I didn't have the condition or I would just, um, you know, slap on my happy face and pretend everything was rosy. And, and not many people really knew how much I was really struggling because I was resisting and pushing it into the background. And I've learned over time and probably since doing this course and them helping me realize it is that 
that just actually led to more pain because the more that I resisted it, the more I would go beyond my limits and cause more physical pain, the more I would cause mental anguish because I was beating myself up all the time about overdoing it or um, or just having, you know, negative thoughts because I didn't want pain and I didn't want to be in that place. And I think um, acceptance was a really big key for me um, because it allowed me to just realize that this is something that I have and and to not put um, any kind of um, a judgment on it. And, and I think a lot of stress came from the fact that I just – I was always wishing I wasn't in pain, but I was. <laughs> so yeah. I had to just be mindful that this is how the situation is. Um, I can spend the rest of the day, you know, wishing I wasn't in pain, but that's actually not going to achieve anything or, or help the situation. So uh, I think acceptance is really about just acknowledging that this is where I am right now. This is what's going on. And I think really important for me is going that next step and like, well, what can I do about it? And I think when you don't accept pain, I think you never get to that next step of, well, what can I do about it? Because you're always just wishing that it wasn't there. And I don't think that's helpful in the long run. No. And, and quite, a, I guess, therapy modalities and, and even Buddhism, you know, talk about that concept of constantly wanting to be somewhere you're not or craving something you don't have. And that's often where the pain lies is, you know, wanting to be um, away from where you are in, in a way. So, so it sounds like the acceptance did take quite a bit of time, but once you got past that acceptance and you and you had did all that work within yourself, what was the next thing you mentioned before that you moved on to the next step? What would you say was the next step? Well, a lot of the techniques that I got taught in the pain management clinic were, were a kind of the next step, and that's the well, what can I do about it? There's lots of things that perhaps I can't do, but there's no use focusing on those. Let's look at what I can do to help the pain. And and they were very basic techniques that are evidence-based and they're often recommended to people in chronic pain. But I think without having overcome that barrier of acceptance, people maybe don't put them into action because they think that they can't actually achieve them or, or whatever the case might be. There might be some resistance to even trying. So some of those techniques are things like pacing and mindfulness, uh, regular exercise and, and healthy eating. Um, but definitely the key one for me I think was pacing. I think a very common reaction to, to having chronic pain when you don't have that acceptance factor is to just, um, as I said, push through and overdo it. And what that leads to is a, a really common cycle of uh, good days and bad days. Yeah. <laughs> and I lived that for definitely for 20 years and not many people knew whether it was a good day or a bad day, only maybe those quite close to me. But on a good day when pain was not really having too much of an impact, I would just cram everything in that I possibly could do. Um, I would, you know, tick off everything on my list and go maybe above and beyond and, and I would really push, push, push because I felt good. And I thought, well, while I'm feeling good, I should do lots of stuff. And then you know, most likely the next day would be a bad day and then I would have to spend the day in bed or have a rest or get help with um, with the children or, or something. So um, it's this constant sort of up and down cycle of good days and bad days and that's uh, commonly referred to as a rest activity uh, model. So you do activity, then you need to rest and then you can do some more activity and then rest. But what happens in the long run, and I definitely found this happen for me, is that you get to a point where your body actually can't continue to recover from that cycle and the actual level of activity will slowly decrease. And how pacing is different from that is it's just consistent activity within the limits of your pain or your condition. So um, the in the pain management course, they taught us how to do this very specifically. Um, 
for example, with a particular activity, so say, for example, sitting, um, sitting for a long period of time was a real common flare for me for my pain um, and so working full-time and that kind of thing was, you know, I'd sit at my desk and I'd get carried away and do lots of work and then I uh, would cause uh, an increase in pain. So pa- pacing something like sitting, for example, is to actually find out what is your what is your limit of sitting before pain starts to starts to occur excuse me so i would i in the pain management course we got <laughs> told to sit down and uh put our little timer on and then stand up or stop the timer when we had pain and i think when i maybe did it it was something like a minute <laughs> wow so uh, i would just i mean even that in itself just realizing that made me think well i'm sitting at my desk at work for hours on end sometimes without a break so that's clearly <laughs> not a good approach so you know, just so li- limiting though, you know, it just, I mean, it sounds like you were being your own little scientist in that you were <laughs> observing yourself um, and perhaps didn't, as you said, you know, you would often um, take advantage of feeling good, but perhaps didn't realise on, on those bad days that, you know, one minute tolerance for sitting is, you know, very limiting. I think people take for granted how long they can sit comfortably in a chair, you know, but for you, it sounds like there was some serious limitations that you had to work through. So was the pacing like, um, it almost sounds like it's an averaging out over time. Um, yeah, and, and it's just like, it, it's also finding out what your minimum level of activity is before pain and then that's your starting point. It's just definitely your starting point. It's not that's how long I can sit forever for the rest of my life. It's then building on that and building up your tolerance and it's just like what athletes do when they're learning to run for a marathon or something. They don't just go out and run. They they might go 10Ks and then the next day 15 and, and it's the same thing with pacing just for day-to-day activities when you've got pain is figure out what's the minimum you can do uh, before there's pain. And then the actual um, recommendation is to determine a baseline, which is actually a little bit less than that because you don't want to get to the pain. You actually want to do it beforehand. So you stop maybe at, you know, whatever it is, 80% of whatever you've determined your baseline to be and and then you build up from there. So every day I I would actually get out my little timer and I would do, sitting practice <laughs> and I would sit for a minute and then the next day I'd sit for a minute and a half and then and now you know I mean that was six years ago but now I'm, I'm very confident that you know half an hour I can sit you know pretty comfortably but I'll always have a timer still and I will let that timer go off after about half an hour because I could get carried away and you know sit down and talk to someone at a party for two hours because we're having a great conversation but that's not going to help and it's not going to be sh- sort of pacing and allowing my body to, to um, you know, not have a flare-up. So I, I, I often take my time at places and <laughs> just get up and walk around. <laughs> but that's great because, I mean, it, it, often with any kind of um, disability or, or no matter what it is that's affecting us, you know, even if it's weight management or, or trying to get a project done, it's that discipline that sometimes escapes us. But it sounds like that the discipline here has actually given you freedom. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I, I'm a really big advocate for it because it, it's really hard work and I won't definitely won't say it's been easy and the pain is still there. But because I am doing these sort of small little bits and pieces of, of being, like you said, like being disciplined, it's given me a lot more freedom because in the past I, I might not know from day to day whether it's going to be a good or a bad day. So I might plan to meet with someone for a coffee in two weeks and then that day is a bad day because the day before I I did heaps of stuff and I overdid it and I caused my pain to flare up. And so I always felt a little bit 
like I was um, not sure whether I was going to be able to commit to things. And then I would feel that like I'd let them down because I'd had to cancel it and then that would lead to further negative thoughts and, and it just wasn't it wasn't ever a very good approach. But now I know that I've got that freedom that two weeks time I say I'm going to meet someone, I'll meet them because I'm consistent in my daily approach to things that I know that even if I have pain on that day, I'll still go because... I know that I can sit with them for a little while and then get up and do some stretches or I feel a lot more confident now too that I can talk to them about it and say, hey, I'm I'm not having a great day with my pain today so do you mind if we go for a walk while we talk or something like that? I've got a few friends that <laughs> I've told that before and they're happy to do that. So, um, yeah, definitely, it's like I said, it's hard work but the rewards uh, are so much worth it. The rewards of that pacing process and that yeah. self-knowledge around your limits. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned a couple of other strategies. What would be the next most important to you across the mindfulness and I think you said regular exercise and healthy eating? What was the um, next thing? Yeah. So, de- uh, I mean, all of those are very important, but I've found more recently mindfulness to be very effective. Um, and it's it's similar to the concept of acceptance, I suppose, is just that, you know, things are how they are in this minute and to not really get too much attachment to how you want them to be or how they should be. And being mindful with chronic pain, I think, is just being aware of what you're doing, how long you've been doing it, uh, what thoughts you might be having about pain. And all of those things have been really important for me. Um, And it's a practice. I think mindfulness is a practice. I'm not perfect at it. And I, I certainly still will slip into some of those bad habits of, of, of overdoing it or whatever. But, um, just the commitment to trying to be aware, I think is kind of enough. And every time I am aware and I do pull myself back into the present moment, I think that's like a little bit of success in the practice. So, um, mindfulness has been really helpful, uh, as has mindfulness meditation. So I'm trying to, uh, you know, commit to doing that regularly every day. And I'm pulling my kids into that practice now too, which has been really good fun. They're um, three and seven and my eldest is frequently asking me to do a body scan meditation as she's going to sleep. Um, Great. (laughs) And it's good for me too, because that's just a little period where I can kind of do it at the same time. And we have a little bit of nice kind of moment as she's going to sleep so um I think that's really good the fact that I'm kind of setting a bit of an example as well for the girls which was a big motivation for me too to to show them that the benefits of being in control of in control of my pain um and regular exercise I think I was always very fearful of exercise because of my um previous experiences perhaps of of doing exercise and then getting pain and I would always link the two but it was really more about how I went about the exercise. So I would often do nothing and then go for a 10K walk or something and then wonder why <laughs> I'd flare <laughs> my pain. Um, or, I, yeah, I would get told by a, um, a practitioner perhaps to do exercises every day and I'd do them for the first two days and then I'd get pain and I'd say, well, they don't work, so I'll stop doing those. Um, and I didn't really probably put much weight into that regular everyday aspect of, of why your body needs to be moving and why you need to continue to uh, exercise. And and so since doing the course and they recommend sort of daily stretches and a daily walk, that's been really, really important for me to just maintain that level of, um, of, of just sort of a baseline consistent strength in my body and not letting muscles become too deconditioned. That was another really important concept that I learned was that when you rest, your body 
your muscles get deconditioned. So they, they sort of just slack off and think, well, if I'm not going to move, I might just, you know, relax a little bit more. And, and every day that you don't actually move, they get more and more deconditioned. And it makes it harder to then get back into it. And so those big breaks that I used to have of, you know, doing something and then having a, a few days of doing nothing just was really contributing to more muscle fatigue and more muscle, um, more pain in general because I, w- I, weren't mo- I wasn't moving those muscles. Um, so being consistent with exercise was really important. And the healthy eating has just been a recent thing for me. I've um, been following a little bit of advice from Cindy O'Meara and doing a bit of biohacking, which is this term that she uses, which I really love. It's just just figuring out what foods work for me and what foods don't make me feel that good. And I um, was really motivated to, to do that and look into what I was eating because I'd stopped taking those pain medications and I was wondering why I still wasn't sort of functioning <laughs> 100% digestively um, because that's usually the biggest side effect of pain medications. And so that just led me to try lots of things and I think it's been really key in giving me energy and giving me kind of the motivation to keep doing all those techniques that that regular exercise when you're feeling good and you're not feeling tired or bloated or anything like that then you know you can get out there and go for a walk and commit to your exercises and that kind of thing so the healthy eating has been really important for me and also learning that some foods are inflammatory so if you've got an inflammation uh, from pain and then you're also eating inflammatory foods you know that can be just kind of another thing that adds into the whole big puzzle of of why and how pain is affecting your body. So, um, yeah, I found that, that those those m- main things have been really important to me in my in my journey. So it sounds like um, it's that self knowledge, learning more about yourself, your tolerances, inflammatory foods, how you react to them, um, being more present, and. And it sounds like across that self-knowledge, it's the accumulation effect in, to some degree that each, the mindfulness as well as the food, as well as the movement is what contributes to you, um, I guess, living as normal a life as possible. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's um, it, it has to be that kind of holistic lifestyle approach because you could, probably could do one or two of these things and, and you might get a little bit of an improvement. But for me, it's been figuring out, well, how can I not only what techniques to use, but how can I fit it into my lifestyle? And so how can I, like, when am I going to do my walk and, and when will I do a meditation? And and just figuring out on a day-to-day basis something really simple like, you know, when are these strategies going to be used and how can I implement them? And I think that has come from sort of accumulation of the last few years of figuring out what works and what doesn't work and and really having a very good understanding of what my own body responses are to things. And your persistence is just incredible. It's so admirable to see, you know, that you just kept trying. You just kept putting one foot after the other to try and learn more about yourself and put the practice into place. And, you know, such effort it sounds like you've made, but but with a payoff that wasn't exactly immediate. You know, <laughs> it's taken a lot of time. So that's really amazing. So what have you learned about other people through your experience of pain and taking hold of your pain? Um, I think one really big thing has been the realisation that other people actually really wanted to help me. I think when I was at my worst, I was I was really wrapped up inside my head with all of these negative thoughts, thinking that I wasn't doing a good job and um, having a just a really very deep sort of self-loathing of, of how I was handling things. And that led to me kind of withdrawing from people. Like I didn't want to tell them that I was thinking those things. I didn't want them to know that about me. So I didn't communicate very well at all about my pain. But once I worked out 
uh, the things that did work for me and I started talking about it more and I started sort of releasing some of that attachment and emotion from my pain, um, I figured out that, that everyone actually just wanted to really help me. They just didn't know how. So um, I think that was really important that, that people understand other people do want to help them. They're just really not really sure. And so I think that's been a big thing for me to learn, that, that other people are really genuinely do want to help. And I think another thing that I realised about other people is um, they also, as, w- as well as wanting to help, they, they do want to know what's going on. They want to know who the real person is. And I think I uh, predominantly used to put on this happy face and I didn't want to admit things were going wrong or, or show any kind of vulnerability or admit that I was having trouble. But once I did start telling people that, they, they were really genuinely interested and they really did they were happy to know that I wasn't, you know, that I was a flawed person, <laughs> um, which we all are. And yes, I think it's, indeed. It's great that that people do, they are happy to know that. And I think one thing that really brought that home for me was I was telling a friend um, about what kind of medication I was on, and she, I sort of stopped and I looked at her, and she she was crying, and I said, "What, what what's wrong?" And she's gone, "I never realised, I never realised it was that bad," and I said, "Oh." Okay, so obviously I was I was too much of a good actress, and I just my friends had really no idea what was going on, and so I think when you do sort of put yourself out there and be honest, I think people really can appreciate that and, and help to identify with you and with each other and have that sense of connection, which is kind of probably the third thing that I have learned about people is um, we all want to have a connection with each other, and I think for me when I went to the um, pain management clinic when we started talking about what we were feeling and what kind of thoughts we had about pain and um we all sort of started nodding our heads and and saying oh yeah yeah I've felt that too or I've been down there or whatever and um I think I've noticed that a lot as well recently on social media people with pain will they often want to share what's going on in their life and and make a connection and 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 have other people say, yes, that's okay, I've felt that too, you're not alone, you know, you're not a freak, you know, you're not crazy. That's They're all just really normal, natural responses. And um, I think people do want, generally want that connection to know that we're all sort of suffering it together. But I think it's really important as well to be sure that we don't dwell on that as well because I don't think that's helpful either in the long run. So I know it's good to know that there's a connection and that we all are feeling the same way and that it's a hard slog that we've got to sort of deal with but to still continue to focus on solutions and and supporting each other through those sort of tough times. And what have you learned about yourself? Um, I think the main thing has been that I'm actually stronger than I thought I was. I, I was really scared going into that pain management clinic that I wouldn't be able to do it, that I had 20 years of bad habits that I wasn't going to be able to turn around. Um, I'd also spent such a long time sort of searching for a quick fix or a cure or someone to just come along and sprinkle some fairy dust and say, you'll be right, you're fine now, it's all good. And and that was never going to happen and I needed to be the strong one that actually took control and started committing to these things. So I, d- I did work out that I was actually a strong person and I could actually take some of this control and that was really it's been really beneficial for me to realize um I also think that um as I said it kind of links back to what I was saying before but uh I think that I've learned that I don't have to pretend anymore and it's okay to just be honest and say to people how you're going and part of that acceptance of my pain has also to be accept myself and to know that yep 
I make mistakes and that's okay. I need to, you know, really be kind to myself and compassionate and understand that, um, you know, sometimes I make mistakes and it's no use comparing myself or beating myself up just to accept who I am. And that's been a, a big learning curve, something that I'm still working on, of course, as well. <laughs> all of us, I think, are a work in progress. Yeah. Now, I think you've covered probably really well three things that you could share with us. Is there anything else other than the mindfulness, exercise, food and pacing that you would want to share with us that you do to keep yourself grounded each day? Um, I suppose um, probably just realising that, that, you know, I, I can do it and that there are things within my control and to, to really focus on those things and to not focus on what I, what I can't do. Um, and when I do have pain, I, I really um, just kind of get out that toolbox of pain management strategies and go for my walk or do a meditation. And I think a big part for me, I'm very, very blessed to have uh, a very supportive husband and so he's helped me in many respects remain balanced and focused and if if things are not going wrong it, it's usually our first protocol to to talk about it because that's what sort of kicked it all off in the first place was that that really honest and um frank conversation that we had together yeah definitely so mandy where can people find you if they want to hear more of your amazing story and insights into pain management how can they find you yeah, well, I've started a website which is takeholdofpain.com and that's also on Facebook as takeholdofpain.com, uh, takeholdofpain. And um, on my website, I've also got a free ebook which is um, tips of my own for self-managing chronic pain. And um, just recently as well, inspired by some of the great podcasts that I listen to, I've started my own podcast with a good friend of mine, Carol Staverly, and it's a, a podcast all about overcoming health challenges and people can find out about that at healthchampionsinaction.com. That's awesome. I'm sure people can't wait to listen to some of those episodes because you've just really given us some great information today and, and it was lovely to hear your story. Thank you so much for joining me, Mandy. Thanks, Carrie. It was great. And thank you for listening in and joining Mandy and I. Please support the show by telling your friends or you can go to our Facebook page, Carrie Thompson Casey, that's Thompson without a P, and like us there and give us your feedback. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes. Please give the show a five-star rating if you enjoyed the information. Thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist where we share real people stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.